listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hopson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the season finale of season two of Sticks in the Six. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with Alex Hobson and Peter Barakin and boys, it's been a it's been a couple of weeks since we sat down together. We all have lots going on in the personal lives, and you know sometimes sometimes the podcast has to take a little bit of a backseat. But uh, before we get into everything, uh, obviously this show will have a little bit of least content. Uh, we're going to talk a little hockey Canada off the top of the show, and uh, we're going to get Alex to give Steve Simmons a quick shout out on the podcast as he's joined <laughs> train on on Alex's uh, Twitter. Twitter feed. So Alex, how's your week been? And then fill us in on Steve Simmons. <laughs> um, well, my week's been good. I got, I got a good little story for you guys to start the pod and it's not the Simmons thing. It's something <laughs> unrelated to unrelated to hockey. Uh, I had to get a bat out of my room last weekend at three in the morning. <laughs> Peter knows a little about this because I mentioned it on the, uh, off the top oh, for Maple Leafs lounge. Um, so I had a bunch of friends over the one night and you know, end of the night, like me and my buddy are half in the bag and like, I'm trying to turn it in and go to bed and I'm laying down in bed and he's sleeping in the room beside me. And I, I get up to open my door, sorry, to close my door. And as I step up, this bat flies like right by my ear and scares the absolute shit out of me. And Jesus, obviously not something I'm trying to deal with when I'm exhausted and trying to head to bed like that. Right. And, um, so, um, Basically, I was my initial plan was to try and shoot it out of the balcony. We have a balcony on the floor right below mine. My initial plan was to try and shoot it down there, but it, I wasn't making any progress at all. So I wake my buddy up and we take like a cardboard box and try and like trap the thing in it. And we ended up deciding to take the screen off of my window and trying to get out there because it's like I don't think we're going to be able to take this thing down a flight of <laughs> flight of stairs. <laughs> I'm like. And twice we tried this. I tried to cover the bat with the open cardboard box, the shoe box. And both times it snuck out and just started flying around my room in hysterics. And like, I swear to God, this thing was taunting me. I kept ducking down to try and fight it. And it kept like swinging down and almost nicking my hair. And it was just absolute last thing I wanted to be dealing with at that time. We, we, we ended up, um, uh, he grabbed a shirt and kind of like held it up in front of him. Sort of like, you know, with the, the old circus, uh, the people in the circus would hold up the red flag for the bull he sort of did something like that i took the cardboard box we both kind of quartered the corner of the bat into my in the into the uh, corner of my room near the window and the whole time it was taunting us like you know when the you know when you're trying to get a fly out of your window and it's just, oh, and it it, just it's wide you. open and it just trolls you and flies yeah. back yeah, and forth. yeah, yeah. it stops was, for like five seconds and then as soon as you're about to <laughs> like smush it it just flies away the bat was doing the same thing and every oh, single man. time it got to the window it would turn around and i just be like for god's sakes like it's so it's, it's almost four o'clock at this point like, i'm trying <laughs> to get to sleep and uh eventually we finally cornered it and got it out of the room but that was uh that was my experience from last weekend so there you go you know what that means right well, what you are now mean? you are you are the Batman? new dark you're the new dark knight you I'm the are new Batman. dark knight i'm going in right now i was gonna say forget, i was waiting for you to christian bale back just again <laughs> alex hobson to be the new batman i was just i was just gonna say i'm hoping to be somewhere in between christian bale and ben affleck <laughs> somewhere <laughs> somewhere in the middle and in between those two and i'll take well, it you, you can't get any worse than ben affleck or even george clooney for that matter so <laughs> I, 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 I say you, you i say you'd be ahead of uh, both of them 
I was waiting for you to tell us that at the end there that uh, you followed the bat and found the bat cave and all of a sudden your your buddy <laughs> that woke up with you you got Batman Robin so yeah um, spent the re- spent the rest of my night fighting crime <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> that's right um, before we before we get into Steve Simmons we'll show it over throw it over to uh, Peter Peter what's your what's your last couple weeks been like buddy. Well, I, I really can't top that bat story. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to say that right then and there. Uh, my, my week has been pretty boring, you know. You know, obviously, I, I I I was not big on Stranger Things. I managed to finish it. I'm all caught up, and I am. I, I, yeah, Alex's reaction. I was not big on it at the beginning. I thought it was just too. I thought it was overrated. Watching from beginning to end, boy, was I wrong. Finished season season four. Can't wait for season five. By the way, shout out to Joe Quinn, who actually knows how to play Master of Puppets. And that is just absolutely phenomenal. And him and Metallica are like absolutely close. And there was a recent video of him doing like a playthrough with them. And he's like the unofficial fifth member of that band. And uh, obviously this is this doesn't top the bad story, but I managed to, you know, go to this place called retro festive it's like a christmas store but it deals with like like a lot of pop culture stuff and everything like that and they managed to have a steve harrington pop funko pop figurine and i'm a collector of those and the fact that they had steve there i was just like sold last one let's go it's part of my collection again not not as fun as trying to trap a bat, but I went on a mission to try and get a Steve Harrington Funko and mission accomplished. I can assure you, you probably had more fun than I did, Peter. Oh, so, <laughs> I mean, to, it, I mean, it just <laughs> just to, just to make things clear, I didn't enjoy that experience. It just pick happened. an item, pick an yeah. item off a shelf, and I'm good to go. There you go. Well, boys, I'm uh, I'm uh, enjoying the first night of vacation. I've got a week off from work, which is excellent. I. Uh, I, I turned the big three four on uh, on Wednesday, so big birthday for me oh, on happy uh, birthday, Wednesday, dude! Yeah, big thank shout you, out, thank you. Twitter um, did not remind me. I apologize. No, it's this coming. It's this coming. <laughs> oh, it's this, oh, okay, yeah, this coming. Yeah, I'm, I'm not okay. going to age myself that much. On, uh, you know, I got the grays, but it's uh, you know, give me give me an extra four days here. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, my my week hasn't been nearly as exciting as you guys yet. Uh, we're hoping to, uh, while we're getting the house ready for, for baby girl's arrival in, in November. And, uh, that's, that's kind of what the vacation is going to be for this, this time around. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, we're in the dog days of summer. Um, we kind of take any, any little bit of excitement that we can get, uh, when it comes yeah. to the hockey world. So when I, I mean, saw Kadri still unsigned and John Klingberg is off the table. So Kadri is still unsigned. And yeah. I like, I'm going to say this on the podcast because I've got, I've got a source that is telling me it's down to Colorado or Calgary. Um, so Makes sense. I like, Makes sense. if, if, if he signs somewhere else, I'll bite the bullet and say, you know what? My source was garbage, but I'm telling you right now, like I, I really, I had that article come out a little while back saying it, you know, and I had the three teams. I had uh, Colorado, number one, Calgary was my number three team. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, the Rangers Trotter were on number there. two. No, oh. the Rangers were there, but they, they went out and got Trocheck, so that kind of knocked them off mm-hmm. the off the table. But um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, look look for look for Calgary to make a push. I mean, they've got the they've got the space. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're going to be looking to sign Huberto and uh, Weger uh, before the season's out, and uh, you know, Calgary might be might be a good addition to that to, to that uh, top. Uh, top six so that'd be interesting um, if he went to calgary because he, he originally vetoed a trade there 
Remember? Yeah. When yeah. they when, when they traded mm-hmm. him to Colorado, the package was supposed to be uh, TJ Brody and Mark Jankowski, and he he said no. So yeah. it'd be interesting that he's he's looking to sign there if that's true. Yeah. No. It's it 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 is uh, it is interesting. I think you know. There's uh, I don't know. He, what I was told is his number one is is Colorado because obviously he's got they've got they've got a house down there. Um, you know, he's got his wife and his, his kids, uh, settled yeah. down there. So that's where he wants to stay. Um, it, it all depends on if the money's right. And, uh, obviously Colorado's gonna have to make some space if they want to make that happen, but it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I was going to say though, what, what was interesting for me over the past week was obviously this interaction that you you've had with, uh, with Steve Simmons. And it's not the first time that you've, you've kind of had a run in on Twitter with, uh, you know, let's, I'm not going to call them famous, but infamous, infamous reporters in the Toronto media, obviously Damian Cox being the other one. Um, so give us the lowdown on what kind of happened with Simmons here. He, uh, he quoted my tweet. He was, uh, I, 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 I tweeted something he about how he yeah, engaged. He engaged. <laughs> he engaged. I'm not quite sure how he found it. I mean, I know that Twitter's algorithm's weird. It kind of like, you know, it'll pop up random things in your feed, but as far as I'm concerned, Simmons is not a follower of mine. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I basically tweeted something out about the lack of, you know, good players, the least drafted during the Mark Hunter led drafts between 2015 and 2017, they drafted 27 players over that time. Only seven of them have played in the NHL. Two of them were under 50 games and Adam Brooks and Joseph wall, and the rest of the players they drafted haven't even most of the, most of the rest of the most of the rest of the players they drafted in that draft have not even come close to sniffing the NHL. So I basically just tweeted something about that and Steve took exception. He uh, so here's I'll, I'll read mine out. I said, here's a list of NHL players. The least drafted during the Mark Hunter led drafts from 2015 to 2017. And I the, go down the list. It's Mitch Marner. Travis Dermott, Austin Matthews, Carl Grunstrom, Joseph Wall, Adam Brooks, Timothy Lilligren. He tweets it. He quotes it and goes, Hunter wanted Konechny not trading down for Dermott choice. He wanted Robert Thomas ahead of Lilligren. Context, please. So in seeing that quote, I gave him context and I was pretty nice about it. I said the trading down part, sure. But if Lilligren fell into their laps and said, sorry, I made a typo in this tweet. The trading down part, sure. But Lilligren fell into their laps at 17. If Thomas was his guy, why didn't they take him? Wouldn't he have the call after Lou and Shanny? Also, just because Lilligren took longer to develop doesn't mean he's not useful in his own way. And he he didn't respond. So it's unfortunate. I'm, I, I was hoping to get, you know, Simmons take on that. But yeah, I guess he didn't either didn't see it or didn't think I was worth the time or or what. So there you go. I think I've made it. Steve Simmons disagreed with one of my tweets right, right up there with, right up there with Damian Cox. I'm, I think seems this like, is an accomplishment. Seems like they disagree with everybody though. Well, yeah, I mean, it's true. But it, to have it on paper is pretty, is, is pretty, yeah. it's quite the accomplishment to me. I think the the thing, if you didn't like, for me, like I, I, I read the Toronto sun growing up. So like, you know, obviously he had his column in there where it was like the, the basically just a, a stream of consciousness of, of bullshit that he decided to put on paper. And I never, I never liked Steve Simmons. I, I just couldn't understand why he had his own column that was at the top of the page every single day. Um, and then the, the Phil Kessel thing came out about the hot dog stand outside of his apartment oh, and blah, blah, blah. And, and that was basically proven to be a completely fabricated story. 
Um, and that's when I lost complete respect for a guy like that. And for him to come out and basically <laughs> like not only engage, but then kind of just throw you by the wayside afterwards and, and say like, you know, it's not worth responding because I've essentially been proven wrong. Once again, <laughs> it was just, I, I just thought it was entertaining. I mean, like you said, if you, if you read any of the replies to, to, to what you said back, I mean, it's pretty clear where, where a lot of people stand and, um, well, you know, stay classy, Steve, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully you get it right next time. But, uh, I just thought it was, I, I just thought it was entertaining. I, I thought it was entertaining too. I didn't, I didn't think he would see that tweet. So thanks for, uh, thanks for engaging Steve. Thank you. I was also just going to point out during that Austin Matthews draft too. I, I assume he was heading that one as well. We all remember Igor Korshkov, right? I was hoping that maybe, you know, he would jump up at some point, really didn't. Had a little stint, didn't quite work out, gets traded. But you know what? Uh, this guy by the name of Alex DeBrinkett would have been a very great number 31 overall. And if not him, if, if, if you misjudge and you don't take DeBrinkett, there is also one Jordan Cairo as well. Mm-hmm. So, well, we'll be two. seeing a lot of uh, DeBrinkett over the next couple of years. Um, but uh, before we get into Leaf Talk, guys, um, obviously, like I said, season finale, we don't want to close out on a dark note. So we're going to kick it off on a dark note here with uh, the Hockey Canada stuff that's going on. And, and not just Hockey Canada, but uh, Sport Canada. Um, you know, the gymnastics has come down, soccer's yeah. come down. Uh, it seems to be across the board, the, the, uh, lack of integrity and the lack of accountability that continues to kind of hover over, over sports in Canada at the moment. And, um, like I said to you guys, before we hit record here, it's, there's not much we can say because we don't have the full story at this point in time. We don't have the players involved. We don't have, you know, all the details, but since we last met, um, there was the 2018 world juniors, obviously that, you know, there's still a lot of speculation around who was involved. And, and I think to this point, it's pretty narrowed down to, to those select players. Um, but now somebody came out and, 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 uh, said that the 2003 team also decided to have, you know, a less, less than classy engagement with, with, uh, um, you know, uh, an unsuspecting victim. And yeah, I mean, go ahead. You can look at the roster, blah, blah, blah. Um, there was a tweet out about something Jordan Tutu said in, in his, uh, his book about, you know, we were just a bunch of horny, horny guys, uh, horny young men. And, and, uh, you know, we were just ready to slay broads or whatever. And, and basically saying it wasn't one-on-one stuff. Um, it was, you know, guys would pick up girls after the game and, and bring them into a room. And, um, you know, it was kind of a free for all. And, and, um, I mean, take that for what you will. I, again, I, there are no names being released at this point in time as to who's actually involved. So take that for what you will. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and speculate. That's not what we do here at, at uh, sticks in the six, but I am, I am frustrated that there's not, there's not accountability to this point. And if you're looking at it from, from the outside, you see the 2003 team involved in something like this. You see the 2018 team involved in something like this. There's, there's, 
you know, in those 15 years in between that this is not just a one-off in those 15 years. This is something that is, is a hundred percent part of whether you want to call it ritual, whether you want to call it part of the, I don't even know if it's, I, I, I really don't know what to call it. Um, but it, it's almost like a tradition. Um, and, and you have to wonder how many times over that span of 15 years that this, this became a, a, an issue with Hockey Canada. And now to, to the credit of the IIHF, which has had its own issues over, over the years, they are looking into Hockey Canada and whether, you know, they, they want more information. They want to they get all the details so they can make a, an educated decision on, on what to do with, with uh, Team Canada moving forward. Um, the women's, the women's organization, the women's side of, uh, of the game uh, of Hockey Canada, they released a statement, uh, you know, basically calling for Hockey Canada to revamp everything. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's, it, it's in turmoil. And um, Peter, you said it best, like this, this organization needs, needs a full clean. They need a full sweep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've said my piece, but Peter, uh, I'll throw it to you if you want to add anything. Yeah, it, it's just becoming even more disgusting, shameful. Um, the fact that they had like their own set of funds set aside for like hush money for stuff like this is just absolutely appalling because they knew what was going to unfold. They thought they could just pay everybody off. And then all of a sudden they managed to keep this under wraps for God knows how long. And now that everything's come to light, it just makes the situation even worse. Um, yeah, I like, I, I'm pretty sure everyone is, is all for this. There needs to be a full teardown. I know Scott Smith said that he will not step down. And he even said that I'm here to lead this change. This change of what? Like this has been going on for so long. And, to, and I'm just going to say this right now to everybody who's, you know, from the, um, Chicago Blackhawks um, situation with Kyle Beach and more events after, uh, like that have been come to light in the past. To everybody saying that there is no like you know issue with hockey culture and everything like that, you know why nothing needs to change. Everything is fine. Everything that has happened in the last three four months with all this stuff, it isn't. It clearly is not fine. And if you keep on saying that it is fine, you're part of the problem. And yeah, uh, I, I, I honestly think that there needs to be a full teardown, you know, have a new leader who's willing to take out this toxic culture, take out this rotten behavior that should not be acceptable by anybody. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Again, we've ta- we've discussed this over many, many times in the past, and we, we've all said our piece about this, but it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and nothing's going to happen until you get meaningful change, and we just don't see that, not even in their action plan. And, yeah, uh, they could keep saying the words that they want to all this time, but it's not going to mean anything until they actually do something about it, and we're not getting that. Peter, the crazy part about this whole thing too, is it's not just, and, and for so long we've talked about hockey culture and hockey culture is hazing. Is, is, all that. Yeah. It, this is not hockey culture. This is, no. this is sports culture. This is what it's yeah. become. And that's true. This is what it's been for so long. And, and, and we're not going to d- dive into the politics of it because that's, that's a whole nother story for a podcast. That's 
probably far more educated on the po- political side of things. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about a, a, a minister of sport that that knowingly covered things up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's within the Canadian government. And that, that to me goes, I mean, you need an overhaul from the top down. There, yeah. there's, there's no, there's no, okay. You know, I can be part of the change. No, you were part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You were part of the problem. And that, and you were at the top of this whole entire thing. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I mean, regardless of which players are, 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 or were involved in whether we get that information, I mean, hopefully accountability is, is part of, part of the reconciliation here. But um, yeah, I, I just, there's, there's no, there's no fixing it until you, until you change the problem at hand. And this is, I mean, Sheldon Kennedy has been talking about it for, for the last little while. And I mean, he, he told his story years and years and years ago, I believe it was in 96 that he told us first told his story and hockey Canada has done nothing to change anything since then. Um, but uh, Alex, your thoughts on hockey Canada and, and sports in, in Canada right now. Yeah. I've been following along with the trial sort of on Twitter over the past, the past week or so. And it's honestly just like paying attention to a, like a repeat of a rerun of the Kyle beach trials and the, and everything that went yeah. down back in October, because it's just the same thing. It's a bunch of people in power who have zero accountability, who are sitting there, you know, making empty promises and promising that there will be change, promising things will be better. And then pretty much contradicting themselves with their actions in, in, in the same process. And uh, Peter, I'm glad that you brought up that the, uh, that action plan that they released because shout out to Brock McGillis on tweet on Twitter. He yes, tweeted an amazing absolutely. thread, just basically gutting that entire, that entire action plan. I'm mm-hmm. putting air quotes around that action plan from hockey Canada, because, you know, the ideas that they were, that they were presenting were, were made in good heart. The, the, like the ideas that they presented, you know, are, are like, they should be great steps towards preventing things like this from ever happening again. But the problem is, as Brock put it, there is no depth to any of these promises. There's yeah. no, like, I, like, I can't. And I, most I, of those I'm things should have been in place well ahead of all exactly. these events that have been going on. And they didn't even have that in place. It's like when you're, it's like when you've been standing beside a house fire that's been going on for 10 hours. And then you finally think, you know what? I should probably get a fire extinguisher. It's, you know, I hate to be making jokes and then like using jokes to make an analogy about this, but that's really what it is because this entire thing has been a tire fire. And, mm-hmm. you know, it makes me feel sick to think that, you know, I grew up playing in the hockey Canada system. My, my parents signed yeah. me up for hockey for years. And just to think that this money very, very well could have been going towards covered up sexual assault cases. It just, it makes me feel sick to know that, to know that I've been growing up in a system like this. And, you know, if it makes me feel this way, I can't even imagine how it would make the people and the families of victims of hockey Canada's covered up assaults would feel about this. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of backlash from minor hockey, minor hockey organizations right now as well. As, as there should be, because like, you know, we say over and over and over that, you know, the only way to do it is to burn it down. And I, I really wish I could have the faith to say that, that, they, that, that it will happen, that you need to, that they will clean house. Everybody will lose their jobs. People will step down and we'll start fresh. But I just, I, you know, Scott said that he, Scott Smith said that he has no plans of stepping down. And based on that alone, I'm, I'm not convinced and I'm not, 
I don't have hope that things are going to get better anytime soon. And I, it's a super Debbie Downer thing to say, but as long as the same people are in power, like how all, all, all they're doing right now is speaking words, empty words, and essentially saying the right things, not even saying the right things, just saying the things that sound good to the media so that the media goes away and we forget about it just like every other time. And I'm glad that they're getting backlash. I'm glad in, I'm glad that they're getting backlash from the MPs as well. And you know, it's, it's crazy. Another thing Brock pointed out is that there are people, there are MPs who are anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ who are calling out Hockey Canada and talking about how disastrous the situation is. And it's, you know, obviously not giving credit to people who hold those views, but at the same time, you know, it's bad when people who are for those sorts of things are calling out their own, you know, people they stand with in power over things like this. And, you know, it's just, it's... At the same time, it's it makes me disappointed and it makes me ashamed in a sense to be a Canadian hockey fan, knowing that, you know, everything I support, fuck, the World Juniors are coming up in a week. Like, there there is a ongoing trial right now, basically picking apart every single grimy thing that Hockey Canada has done in the past three or four decades. And the World Juniors are going to be in a week. And it, I just, I mean, we're, uh, we, we, you know, we're draft gurus. We work at the hockey writers. We, we obviously pay attention to the tournament, but it's, it's not going to feel the same. It's not, I, I'm really not going to be able to feel the same sort of, you know, pride to be Canadian and to cheer on the Canadian, the Canadian national team, because of, you know, that there's, you know, that there's skeletons buried beneath the celebrations. So I don't know, like you, like you guys said, there's only so much we can say. We, we, we really just like, <laughs> We, we basically have been speaking the entire thing. The, we've been speaking this whole thing into existence every time that there's a new scandal in hockey, but um, everything it comes down, comes down to is just burning it down. And, you know, there's really not going to be any change until that happens. So I don't really know what else to say, but. I'm going to call it, it, I call it a falsification of change because it's, mm-hmm. it's what we see. And, and like I said, I don't want to get into pol- the political side of things, but it's what we see in politics now. It's no longer are the the commercials you see on TV when when it comes to election time. It's not about hey, this is what we're going to do for the people. It's hey, this is what so and so is not going to do for the people. And it's 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 empty promises. It's empty, as you said, Alex. You can you can it, it looks good on paper, but until the change is actually done, um, until until you know meaningful steps are actual actually taken, you know there's nothing. What what is it? We're we're all going to talk about this for a while and, and then forget about it. It's the same as you don't he, you don't hear us talking about Uvalde anymore. It it's gone. That's all of a sudden it's gone. It, it it was there for a week. It was there for two weeks and then it's gone. The for the families it's not gone. I I have a I have a Curtis Joseph signed uh, Team Canada jersey up in my basement here and uh, and uh, every time I come out of the washroom down here and, and, and look at that, that Jersey. I feel the same thing as you, Alex. I feel sick. And it has nothing to do with Curtis Joseph. It has everything to do with the logo on the front of that Jersey. Mm -hmm. And it has everything to do with, you know, for me, I I don't know how you guys feel about this. And, and, you know, if we lose, if we lose a couple of listeners over this, you know, I'm fine with it, but I I can't look at the Canada flag anymore after, after the, 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 the so-called trucker convoy in Ottawa and feel comfortable. I can't look at that Jersey anymore and feel comfortable. 
there, there's something, there's something that has changed with, with the meaning behind it. A a Canadian flag doesn't mean anything to me anymore. A Canadian Jersey, I'm having a real hard time seeing the meaning behind it. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the world juniors are coming up. Um, You know, we're going to, we're going to feel a lot different. I think this time around um, just because of everything that's, that's come to light. Um, But how long are we going to talk about it? Eventually, eventually this is going to get swept away, swept under the rug. And, and, you know, we're, we're going to be sitting here talking about the world juniors all over again. And I, I, you know, I played minor hockey growing up to know my registration fees went to, to something like that yeah. is, is sickening. And, and at this point in time, yeah, I loved, I would love for my kids to play hockey. I don't feel comfortable going that route. It's simple as that. Um, but I, I, there's not much more we can say. Obviously, we're going to see how things unfold and continue to unfold over the rest of the summer here. Um, like I said, we wanted to start it off with that, that, that kind of dark note that's still hovering over hockey right now. Um, but uh, it's, it's tough to transition from that. But we're going to jump into a little bit of Leaf Talk here, boys, be, before we close out Season 2. And like, uh, like Peter said pre, pre-show here, we, had, we have a lot to catch up on over the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously, Leafs had development camp, as did most of the NHL. The Leafs also brought in some, some grizzly veterans in, in Victor Mete, if that's what you want to call him, um, uh, and, and Jory Ben. And, uh, and then, obviously, Callie Yarn- Yarncroc uh, signed with the Leafs as well on a four-year deal, and Pierre Engvall will be back. So let's kick it off with Engvall. Um, Alex, your thoughts on the deal, your thoughts on Pierre Engvall being a, a member of the Leafs for the foreseeable future? I hate to say it, but I this this situation with Engvall right here just screams another Mikheyev situation to me. I guarantee mm. you Pierre Engvall is going to have the season of his life this career, and he's going to sign somewhere else for four by four or something like that. It's just, it feels like that's going to happen. You know, he says that he's looking to step into more of an offensive role this year. He said he, he I'm pretty sure he quoted himself saying he wants to score 20 goals this year. Um, obviously he's always been more of a defense first kind of player, but we did see some some flashes of his goal scoring ability last year. He's got a really, really very sneaky shot that uh, he doesn't use quite often, but if he used it more, I think he could absolutely be a 20 goal scorer. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of role he plays with the Leafs this year. I wouldn't at all be surprised to see him take some, take some wraps with uh, Pierre, uh, with Pierre Engvall, uh, <laughs> with John Savarez and William Nylander on the second line. That's a bit of a hole right now. Um and yeah, if you, you, you know, you combine that with his speed and his size and he's a, he's a very good player. So, um, he impressed me last year. He took a real step forward when I was, I, I was, you know, hard on the uh, trade Pierre Engvall bandway and kind of at the start of the year, I thought, you know, there's, you know, you can move him to another team and you can create space for someone in the Marlies to come take his spot and maybe get a draft pick in return or use him as a sweetener for a deadline acquisition, something like that. But uh, the longer the season went on, the more he proved me wrong. And now I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to be capable of this year because uh, he's definitely shown flashes of being more than just that third line player. Peter, your thoughts on uh, the Pierre Engvall deal. Yeah, I, I would kind of like to see him on that second line role just to see what he can do. I, I'm kind of in the same boat with you, Alex. I mean, you, you mentioned his shot, but the biggest thing with me with Engvall is 
he is 6'5", 215 pounds or 6.05, 250 pounds. He's a big guy on the ice. I want him to utilize his size more and be a bit more of a physical guy because if he's able to add that finesse, the tenacity to his side, I think he could be really effective in a top six role. He backs off quite a bit, but you know, you see the skating, you see the speed, you see the intensity when he gets in on the forecheck. That's exactly what the Maple Leafs wanted him. And, and he did take a major step in that. Um, I, I would hope that maybe he has a change of heart and doesn't go an Ilya Mikheyev route. But then again, you know, it is NHL. It is a business. Players want to get paid. But if his numbers this season are still the same as last season, then I think that bodes well for the Maple Leafs where they don't go higher than what he's making right now and try to give him a bit more of an extension where it's just still 2.25, maybe 2.3 or 2.4. But... You know, I kind of like this. It's still kind of like a prove me now kind of thing. If he's able to do it, great. And if he walks, it, it it won't hurt the Maple Leafs drastically because there are tons of players in the system that could come up, um, fill not necessarily fill the void, but let's face it, at some point, Matthew Nice is going to be a top, in a top six role. So if Engvall is there or Kerfoot is there and they're both gone, Matty Nice is probably going to sign that come season end when you know his collegiate season's done obviously he wants to make another run for a cup or the championship and then come over here because we saw that sh- like little uh shine of brilliance during the development camp with his size with his shot with his speed and he's working towards on improving his shot a little bit more but he's putting in the work and the fact that he's you know continuing to improve just opens up a spot for him, but overall the contract, I kind of, I still like it. Um, you know, maybe they still could have played his hand and be like, listen, we're still not convinced. We want to sign you long-term kind of like a three year deal or two year deal, trying to get that bridge a little bit more. So you get at least one year of UFA, then see what happens afterwards. But you know, I'm, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Yeah, I, I what's crazy about him right now is that he was a seventh round pick and and we talk about how how invested you have to be in those late rounds nowadays to to get those kind of role players and up until this year I mean is his his offense wasn't really telling of of what he was able to do. Obviously this season set career highs with 15 goals, um 20 assists, 35 points in 78 games. Got power play time um, was, was a key on, on the penalty kill. Um, and I'm going to kind of go against you a little bit there, Peter, and say that he is underratedly physical when it comes to, you know, playing the puck and, and he gets into those yeah. grimy areas and he's, he's able to kind of, you know, for, for a tall kind of string being that he is, I mean, he does, he does kind of get, you know, in the face of, uh, of the opposition in the offensive zone, which I, I, I tend to like, um, What's interesting from last season is that his shooting percentage was actually below his career average. So in his first two years with the Leafs, uh, he, he uh, was uh, 11 plus percent in when it comes to shooting percentage. Obviously, he wasn't shooting the puck as often. Uh, this past year, he had 154 shots and his, and his shooting percentage dropped to 9.7. So 
I mean, take that for what you will. Um, whether, whether, you know, it was just a, a small drop off because of the, uh, the amount of shots he was taking, but um, I, I think he'd be a legitimate piece in that, in that middle six. And I, I I'm kind of leaning towards this might not be a McKay of situation. I think if he, he plays well, um, you know, maybe puts up 40, 40 points, um, has a decent season and, and the Leafs can, can find a way to, to work something out with him. I think he's a guy that might, might look to stay. I think McKay have wanted at the beginning of la- uh, last season, he had already mentioned his, his uh, interest in leaving Toronto and, and playing in a, in a, in a situation where he was getting more minutes and, and, and being a kind of a focal point for the offense. Engvall has just talked about how he wants to step into that role. And for me that there, maybe I'm reading into what he's saying as, as, you know, a little bit more than what it actually is. But I seem to think that Engvall is happy in Toronto. I think he wants to play in Toronto. And I think, you know, the one year deal is, is the Leafs saying, look, this is what we can give you now. There's potential that next season based on where the cap's at, maybe, maybe we can give you a little bit more. And, you know, time will tell, obviously we'll see who's, who's around next season and who's not, but, I, I think this is a show me what you show me what you can do and, and see if you can earn a little bit more. And I'm excited to see what he does. I, I think, you know, if the Leafs are in a position where they need to trade him at the deadline, maybe they maybe they do that. But I, I, I'm I, I have a feeling that you'll see Kerfoot out before he goes. I think you'll see Hall out before Engel goes. Mm-hmm. I think this is this is a product of of Toronto drafting, and I think they wanna they wanna try and develop, you know the pieces that they, they brought in and, and, and Engvall's a prime example of that. So I, it'll be interesting to see what he can do this year, but I, I, I don't mind the contract to be honest. I just want to jump in and uh, uh, clarify a little bit. Uh, you mentioned that Engvall does play with that edge and he has shown that more progressively throughout the season. I do agree with that. It's just that certain points, maybe he backs off a little bit more, although we saw a little bit more of that intensity during the playoffs. And that's a Pierre Engvall that I want to see in a, on a consistent basis from here on out. If that's, if he wants to be more of an offensive role and if he wants to be kind of that power forward guy, so be it. I would love to see that consistently more because there were even early on in his career. And I think last year too, the knock on him was he wasn't, he was backing away from plays quite a bit and we saw that early on, but he got more comfortable as the season went on. So I'm I'm just hoping that he can maintain that. The Leafs did add some depth as well. Uh, obviously, going out and signing Victor Mete, 24 year old, uh, and uh, 35 year old Jordy Ben, both to one year, seven hundred fifty thousand dollar contracts. Um, the Buffalo, the Buffalo contract that we saw last year, um, but. What's interesting about Victor Mete is that after this season, he's going to still be an RFA. Um, Jordy Ben adds some some much needed intensity to that back end. If you know we see Jake Muzzin go down with another another major injury, um, Peter, I'm going to throw it back to you first here. Your thoughts on those two signings as depth role players for this this back end for the Maple Leafs? Yeah, I may not show, but I think Victor Mete can kind of be that Dylan DeMello kind of player. You know, yeah, he, like, in junior, he had that offensive upside to him. It's just not showing right now, but he's still smart in what he's able to do. And, yeah, he's on the smaller side. 
you know, 5'9", 187 pounds, but he's got great speed to just evade pressure in an instant. And we saw that quite a bit with Ottawa, with Montreal. And I think this is, I, I think this is the perfect opportunity for him to still succeed in a depth role. And with Jordy Ben, and, and this goes with uh, Mete as well, both, uh, according to Cat Friendly, both can play left and right side. I think that's going to be a big factor, especially if you move Justin Hall out and you have one of those guys be inserted alongside Jake Muzzin. Because the way I see it right now, obviously, Riley Brody is going to be your top pairing. You can't get rid of Gio and Lilligren because they've been so consistent together and feed off each other extremely well. Who does that leave with Muzzin? Obviously, the whole Rasasendi situation still needs to play out. But having either Ben or Mete in that spot alongside Muzzin, because we've seen him rush up quite a bit. Having that stay-at-home kind of presence or the smarts of Mete to do both can provide great balance on that pairing. That's just me spitballing certain ideas. So, But like you said, if Muzzin does go out, one of them can move to the left side, one can play right, and you still have that depth in your you know, defensive top six right there to anchor that for the time being if he goes down. But then again, that's going to be um, on on the shoulders of the fact that, you know, he is going to be healthy, but overall the depth itself, the fact that they can play both positions or both sides shows that they have that faith in them. Cause we saw the experiment with Rasta Sandin on the right side, as much as I love him as a defenseman and I wish they would sign him. He did not look great on the right-hand side at, at the beginning. Yes. At certain points, no as well, but the fact that they got that kind of depth and players that can play on the right side is going to be big because then they can rotate in as a six or seven defenseman as well. So they got that depth, they got that balance, and they got a little bit of tenacity as well with Jordy Ben because he's a mean player to go up against. And I know that, you know, everyone's going to look probably his analytics, and I haven't looked at it since, or but if it's great or not great, if it's at least average, I think it's going to go well for the Maple Leafs. But if he's still going to be in, like a negative possession player, it's still going to hurt them. But then again, he's a defense. He's a stay-at-home defenseman. He's that kind of guy that you want to defend against the rush, be a nightmare in front of the nets, and mitigate those chances. So if he's able to do that, and Mete with the you know transitional play, I have no issue with that at all. Alex, where do these guys fit into this lineup with with the logjam that is the the Maple Leafs defense? I think that. The only thing that this logjam is really telling me is that there is guaranteed to be a trade because, you know, Victor Mete and Jordy Ben are depth defensemen, but they're not eighth and ninth defensemen. Mm -hmm. The Leafs have nine NHL defensemen right now. They've got seven without those two. So Mete and, and Ben both fall on the eighth and ninth, sort of on that ranking there. And in my eyes, Victor Mete... Jeez, sorry, hiccups. Uh, in my eyes, Victor Metze could be good enough to be a regular NHL defenseman just on any on a team. Jordy Ben is probably more of a seventh defenseman kind of guy, but in my opinion, that's their roles right there. So to have them, you know, be the eighth and ninth defenseman, they're not going to get any playing time this year, even with injuries. Like, you know, say, for example, Timothy Lilligren goes down with an injury. Then 
if the Leafs, assuming that the Leafs don't make any moves, maybe Justin Hall was the seventh defenseman at the time. Maybe he slots in. And then you've got Victor Metze there as your seventh guy. And then you've got Jordy Ben as your eighth guy. I just, I don't think Kyle Dubas would have signed those guys with the intention of never having him play. So, you know, maybe it's one of those things where, you know, for example, if Ben has a bad training camp, then the Leafs put him on waivers at the start of the season or something. It's an easily variable contract. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he does bring something that the rest of the Leafs defensemen don't have. So I do think that Dubas signed them with the intention of having them in a role this year. I don't think it's as an everyday player role, but I think it is more of a role than what they are right now. So I'm just interested to see how they go about this and if they make a trade, because, you know, Justin Hall, I mean, with the log jam they have right there, you can't really justify keeping him unless you're trading Jake Muzzin in an effort to move that salary cap or, you know, for whatever reason, things go extremely south with Rasmus Sandin and they end up looking for a, you know, a fit for him somewhere. I don't think that's going to happen, but you can't really ignore the possibility. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I really don't see how you can justify having Justin Hall on that defensive course. So with Metsy and Ben there, I think there's definitely more potential that there's going to be a trade now because like I said, they're, they're not everyday players, but they're also not permanent bench players. So um there's a log jam there right now. There's a possible possibility in that, that there's a hole in the top six next to Tavares and Nylander. Like I said, obviously Leafs could have some guys sort of rotate in and out of that role, but I think ideally it's something the Leafs would like to fill before the start of the year. So I'm interested to see how the rest of the off season goes because things have just gotten dead silent in the past week or so. What I've always loved is options and uh, they've got options. And I think that's, I mean, that's the biggest takeaway here is that, yeah, I mean, you, you sign these two two guys to to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars contracts. Worst case scenario, you, you can't waive Jordy Ben. He goes down to the minors. Maybe he's a guy that, you know, either he doesn't, he chooses not to to uh, to go, or um, you know, maybe he goes down. He's he's a veteran for that that young defense in with the Marlies. But regardless, I mean, you have options, and Hall definitely trading Hall is an option. Um, Assuming Muzzin wants to to waive his no move clause, that's an option. The Leafs have options, and I think that's the biggest thing to to take away from this. Both of those signings is that Dubas has given them an opportunity to make those decisions based on how they perform at camp, based on what the expectation is, and based on you know where they need to go with the cap as well. And that's going to be a big question mark. So. I love it. I love bringing in the 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 grit that uh, Jordy Ben plays with. I think you know you need to have a guy like that in your lineup. And I love, I personally love Victor Mete. I think he's you know he hasn't had an opportunity to really excel the way that he he needs it. And I think maybe this could be, maybe this could be a coming out for him because he he was a hell of a player with the Knights in junior. And uh, I you know maybe maybe a tad undersized, but uh, we know now in the NHL that size. Size doesn't play the same the same factor as it used to be. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they end up. But I, I agree with you, Alex. I don't think they're they're here to be eight and nine. I think I think they're going to find their way in the lineup, whether it be you know a mainstay or or, or a platoon at some point. But we're we're likely going to see both of them at some point. Platoon. Um, Jordy Ben Jordy Ben comes in to face the lefties. Mete Mete takes right, the righties. That's right. Cali uh, <laughs> uh, Yarncrock, another one that kind of. I know, I know there's been a lot of speculation around him and the Leafs for, for a little while. And, and, you know, Dubas goes out and gets it done. And uh, Alex, we'll throw it back to you. Callie Yarncroft, 
how does he fit into this lineup and, and what do you see from him over the next four seasons? I basically see, I don't know if I'd call him an upgrade on Ilya Mikheyev, but I would call him an upgrade on Mikheyev in the sense that they're getting him at four years for 2.1 million a year for pretty much the same amount of offensive production, equal amount of defensive production. And, you know, maybe a little bit of a step back on the, when it comes to the speed factor, but you know, I think that I, I think that was just some really well done work by Dubas. Um, I think Yarn Croak is a guy who um, will likely be the third line center this year, but I could also see him taking some reps on the second line next to Tavares and Nylander. I know I've said that about like four different players on this <laughs> episode alone, but as of right now, it's a revolving door. So, um, yeah, I think he brings a lot and a lot of different aspects. And, you know, I said to Peter on the Maple Leafs Lounge when we recorded that a couple of weeks ago that people will look at his the way that his season ended in um, in Calgary, cough, cough, Steve Simmons, Jim Atheson, um, and, you know, point at the fact that, hey, he only had four points in 19 games or something like that. He only, he only had a handful of points in the playoffs as well. And if we're going to be using second-half sample sizes to judge players, and I've got some great news for the Edmonton Oilers fans about Jack Campbell. So – I know that, you know, those are sort of apples and oranges. Yarn Croak and Campbell are two very completely different players, obviously goalie and a goalie and a forward, but um, yeah, you know, I, I think that Yarn Croak is a good ad. I think he's going to be out there in a lot of important situations this year. And when you've got David Kampf as the other center in the bottom six, uh, that's not going to be fun for opposing teams to play against. Um, I think, uh, I think he's going to serve a good purpose here and, you know, four years at that price, 2.1 million is a very soft price to pay for a guy like Yarn Croak. So, I'm excited to see how he fits in the lineup this year. And, you know, knowing that there's 15 goal potential there, um, I think he could score some solid goals. You know, he's got a pretty underrated shot as well. I know he's not really known for his offense, but um, he can pick a corner every now and then. So it'll be fun to see how he, uh, where he fits in this year. Peter, same, uh, same question. How are you feeling about Yarn Croak coming in? I've loved Cali Yarn Croak for quite some time since – Going back to the, when he was still with the Nashville Predators, I've always loved his ability to always attack, establish a fork check, attack hard to the net. Um, also had that two-way play in him. Um, honestly, I th- I agree with Alex. I think this is a really great upgrade from a cave where you can still get that 30, 40 point production, but at a way, way cheaper cap hit. And again, Similar to last year, like with Michael Bunting, Andre Kasha, and David Camp, um, Dubis is going all money ball here. Value in cheap contracts. And I think uh, Yarncroc is going to do just that. Um, excuse me. Um, I really think that he's going to be on the wing. He can play all three positions. I think he's going to be more suited on the wing given his speed. Cause I think that log jam at center again, anything can really happen at this point, but I really love his effort. I love his work ethic. And, you know, I always go back to his point totals with Nashville. He was always good for at least 34, 35, three times in his career um obviously i'm not going to look too much into what happened with calgary because i don't think they utilized him properly i think they tried to make him into a more of a grinder kind of player but it just didn't quite work out um 
he's energetic. I think he's going to fit really nicely in with this Maple Leaf lineup in that middle six role, kind of like McKay, kind of like Engvall at this point, minus the size, but he can still hold his own. And that to me is going to be the sticking point with Jan Kroc heading into next season because if he's able to put up 15 goals, 40 points, that's going to be a huge win. And you get that for four seasons. And I, there was obviously backlash for Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov there in mainstream media. There was still some backlash with Cali Yarn Kroc, as Alex alluded to before. I don't understand what's wrong with giving four years, 2.1 million to a middle six forward, because those are the type of players you want this contract given to. Did you want Dubas to give him a five-year at 4.5, like an Ilya McKayev contract? No, because that would just be counterintuitive and it just doesn't make sense. I mean, good luck to McKayev in Vancouver. I hope he does well, but there is no way he deserves that contract. Um, this is a contract fitting for what Cal Yarncroft can do on the ice, what, he's, what they expect of him to do, and I think he's going to live up to that. I would take this deal any day of the week than Ilya McKayev's current contract. And bottom line is, this is a huge win for the Maple Leafs. I don't know why it was, a, again, a big sticking point because for a depth forward, four years, 2.1 million per, under 3 million, that's what you want. Yeah, we get it, Peter. You're in love with uh, Cali Yarncroft. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's it. I, I, I need a Cali Yarncroft jersey. I think <laughs> yeah. I really need to get one. I, no, I, I agree with both you guys. I, I mean, for a middle six guy, those those are the depth guys that get you over the over the uh, the hump, right? And mm-hmm. you know you you've seen it in Tampa, you've seen it anywhere you look. I mean, even even you talk about Colorado this season, the guys that got them over were were Valerie Nichushkin. Uh He was a depth guy. He wasn't a guy earning the money that he's going to be earning the next eight years. But um, you know, it, it's those are the guys that you want to have around. And and for that type of contract, I mean, how can you not go out and sign that? Um, you know, again, they did it in, in Toronto Maple Leaf fashion in, in that it's all in bonuses as well. So, yeah, um, they, they, they have an out if they need to in that, in that final year. And, um, but I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he's going to be a great middle six guy. I do, I do, uh, kind of lean towards him playing on the wing as well. I just think, uh, you know, he, he might add a little bit more. He might get more opportunity as well offensively when it comes to, to uh, you know, being a winger rather than playing down the middle, but you know, anything, like you said, Peter, anything can happen and, and we'll see where, where he goes from here. Um, Before we hit our last uh, talking point, development camp happened around the league. Um, You know, rookies are getting in there. Matthew Nyes was there before he heads back to to school as well. Um, Alex, any takeaways from development camp and uh, maybe any standups that you had? Um, I would, yeah, I mean, I think the obvious answer for standouts is Matthew Nyes because he, you know, he kind of looked like a man amongst boys out there. Um, he's a guy who's, you know, being honest with himself about wanting to go back to school and, and, you know, hone his skills a little more before making the jump to the NHL, either, either that, or he just wants one more year of playing cup pong with his, with his friends. But, uh, you know, um, cup pong i meant to say king's cup i've got iMessage games on the mind anyways um <laughs> uh anyways um yeah i think uh nice is a guy who could sort of be an in-house deadline addition you know a guy who the leafs sign at the break and he even said himself that he'd, he'd like to help him out down the line which is you know 
I think that's pretty crazy yeah, for, for a second round pick that they drafted in 2021. I think for him to already be at that point when, you know, they're talking about signing him and having him join the team. I think it says a lot about where Dubas was able to get him. And, uh, you know, I think it's just, uh, it, it's very telling. So Matthew Nice is the obvious, obvious answer. Um, I also was pretty impressed with Pano Femis based on what I saw from him. Uh, he's a guy who was obviously spent this year with the Niagara ice dogs. My, uh, I produced a uh, I produced a weekend show for the um, uh, for the talk news uh, news talk station down there in St. Catharines for a while. It was a Niagara Sports Report, and uh, the guy uh, who did the show interviewed a bunch of uh, Ice Dogs players at one point. One of them was Pano Femis, and so um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he does this year. Uh, I'm a little surprised that he went undrafted, but you know the Leafs brought him to development camp, had an extra look at him. You know, you got to imagine he might be a guy that Leafs scouts are looking at throughout next season and potentially to add. Um, potentially to add uh, at next year's draft. So uh, those two are probably the ones that I'd be thinking of the most at uh, development camp. Peter, uh, any standouts that you saw at uh, Leaf development camp? Um, I think you're going to like this Forbes. You talk about like, you know, wanting to draft and develop a goalie. I, th- I really like Dennis Hildeby. I obviously underrated, um, you know, overager fourth round pick obviously you don't want to say he's going to be a starter of the future but he's got good size he's got good mobility um great lateral movements i thought he did very well for his uh first camp here and i think that he's got some potential hopefully everything goes well for him um i but my main one was ty void um i really love the speed the hands the creativity and we saw him break out this past season with the Sarnia Sting, and he just continued that right through to development camp. He he didn't hold back at all. Like he was dancing with the puck, making moves left, right, and center. Quick hands, playmaking abilities was on display. Fraser Minton, his smarts. We talked about um, you know with the draft episode, and even when I was at the draft, he prided on his IQ and his smarts and his ability to play a strong two way game. And Bo Jelsma, another underrated undrafted player in this year's draft. I, I think he's got a really great speed a really great shots um, really stood out at certain points during the camp. Um, obviously would have liked a little bit more, but you know what? I still think that there's promise with bull Jelsma right there. And that's not just because I wrote his draft profile, but I, I, I do like a lot of aspects of his game and I'm glad that the Maple Leafs gave him the opportunity to come to camp. And I hope they got, he's on their radar. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm kind of right there with you. Dennis Hildeby is a guy, like like I said, you know, the Leafs need to draft goalies and, and develop them. And I think he's overager or not. I mean, goalies tend to tend to hit their prime uh, a little bit later than any positional player. So this could be this could be a guy that maybe they maybe you see him climb the ranks with the Maple Leafs and obviously signed to a three year entry level contract already. Um, yeah, you know, the their first one there. out of that draft too. first one out of that draft. Exactly. And and the potential is there. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's opportunity with the Marlies right now um, and he's going to have a shot at, at trying to trying to be a be a piece in this organization that can kind of climb those ranks and, and get to the, get to the big club at some point. And, um, you know, I, I thought he, he played well. The other one I want to mention is, uh, William Villeneuve. Yeah. And obviously, you know, coming off mm-hmm. the uh, Memorial cup, um, you know, he's, he's got momentum on his side and I think he just, he just excelled, uh, just the way that he's, he's able to, uh, you know, develop the game, um, at such a high pace and, and, uh, make plays and, and be a, be a presence on the ice. I think, 
you know, he, he continued to do that. I think the Leafs have, have a very interesting pick there and, and a very interesting prospect in, in that, you know, if they develop him the right way, he could be, he could be a very interesting piece for them moving forward. So um, outside of development camp, I, th- this kind of broke the last couple of days here, but I, I do want to mention the Leafs or sorry, the Marlies did sign Brett Budgel. And the reason I bring his name up is because when I did play by play for the, the minor midget junior nights here in London, uh, he was on the team. And I, I, I just bring him up because he had such an interesting story. He's from, uh, he's, he's from, from out East um, and, and basically came to live with his aunt and uncle in London to play for the junior nights to, to get more eyes on him, uh, played for the junior Knights, had a, had an incredible season. He's a blue collar type player. Um, very reminiscent of, of a Jonathan Taves, uh, and the way that he, he approaches the game. Um, and then went back out East to play uh, in the QMJHL with the, uh, Charlottetown Islanders. Um, so definitely keep an eye on him. He's a guy that, uh, you know, this organization brought in on a, on an ATO, I believe, uh, last year. Um, at the same, at the same time, they had James Hardy there as well. So, uh, definitely keep an eye on him. He's, he's going to be an interesting player. And I think he, he could be a guy that maybe we see with the big club at some point down the road as well. Um, but yeah, before we close it out, boys, before we close the season out, I want to get people prepared for the Matt Murray train. Let's, let's get Leafs nation on this Matt Murray train because Peter, you'd mentioned it. There's there's so much resistance to wanting to like this guy and like the acquisition of, of, of Matt Murray. Um, and even, even within, within the fan base itself, but what, what can you say going into the, this final month of the off season before we get into, you know, September and, and puck drop and obviously us kicking off season three as well. What can you say to get Leafs Nation to kind of teeter towards, you know, buying a ticket to the to the Matt Murray train? At least give them 15, 20 games. That, that that's all I'm asking. I mean, obviously, you want him to succeed. You want everybody to to succeed. Um, I, I was hesitant at first to try and bring Matt Murray in, mainly because of the injury history, mainly because of the fact that. You know, he was on a poor senator team. Maybe he could thrive in a better defensive team in front of him. And, and you look at the Maple Leafs defense compared to Ottawa's, it, it on paper does look better. Um, so with that being said, I understand the hesitation. I understand how even his time in Pittsburgh, he started to, to decline as well. Obviously a big risk on Dubas's part, but there was that stretch again. I got ripped with this in the comment section as well because I did write a positive piece on Matt Murray. Really small sample. He did play well. And even right now, I'm writing on, you know, under the microscope players. Obviously, Matt Murray is in there. 913 even strength save percentage in 21-22 with Ottawa, by the way. His high danger save percentage, 820 way better than Jack Campbell at 790. And to me, if you're a goalie, if you're able to have at least an 800 save percentage in the high danger area, that to me is a step in the right direction. And I think Dubas was looking at, I would hope he would be looking at those numbers to try and say, Hey, you know what? Let's give this guy an opportunity. He's led a team to a Stanley cup. He has performed well in, you know, key situations. He's got familiarity around him. 
um, through his uh, development coach, Keith Dubis, you name it. Just give the guy a chance, man. I, I even on Trade Center, like they were just ripping the decision to bring in Matt Murray and even sign Samsonov right away. And it's just like, give him a chance. Like, that's all we're asking. Yeah, it's questionable. Yeah, it's a big risk. Yeah, everyone has the right to criticize Murray for what happened in the past with his injuries and even poor play at times. But let him succeed on a on a on a you know really good Maple Leafs team. That's all I'm asking. After that 20 game mark, then you can make the conclusions. I, I there was so much more leeway with Peter Morazic than there was with Matt Murray, and Matt Murray is yet to play a game for the Maple Leafs. Alex, I feel like uh, we might be co-conductors on this uh, on this Matt Murray train. Um, what are your thoughts on on what what we can say to get Leafs Nation to give this guy an opportunity? Well, I don't know what I can say based on that, or at least you know outside of what Peter already said. I think it's important that you got to give him a chance, let him play twenty games or so before you really you really judge them. But what I will say is that if Matt Murray turns it around this year, and if he you know, plays like the vintage early Matt Murray that he was with the Pittsburgh Penguins, I am going to be an insufferable asshole to a lot of people. A lot of people. <laughs> Quite a few people. That's, that's, I'm just going to leave it there. Well, no, I've got more to say. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 there's a tweet that I keep thinking of from Arash Madani last week. Funny enough, a guy that, you know, covers the Blue Jays and does, does, you know, TV, TV work with Sportsnet for the Blue Jays. He tweets about when they were in Boston about how he was talking to members of, uh, I was like Boston's camera crew or something. And they're like, he, according to him, they said, are you a Leafs fan? And he, you know, apparently chuckled and they went, you guys signed Matt Murray, Matt Murray. Does Dubas even want to keep his job? And, you know, I just read that tweet. And first of all, I was like, they didn't sign him. They traded for him. Second of all, like the fact that you've got members of the local, the local like city sports media making fun of this guy before he even plays a game, a guy that's, you know, been to hell and back with the loss of his dad a couple of years ago, yeah. you know, signing that contract with Ottawa or get started getting traded to Ottawa and signing that contract with them. And obviously in a bad situation there. First of all, if Murray doesn't turn out like we're hoping he's going to, direct your anger towards Dubas, not towards Murray. Second of all, I just, I, I, I don't know. I just, I want this guy to prove people wrong so, so badly because I know that it's, he's got the potential. And, you know, the amount of people that are not even taking the Leafs serious this year. And, you know, it sounds stupid to say that considering we're coming off of like the sixth straight first round exit. I'm obviously not going to try and be like one of these token no you know this year is going to be different kind of guys but you know it would make me very happy to see matt murray you know kind of shit on these expectations that people have him or lack thereof rather and just step you know step up and play to his potential that he's got buried in there this year is going to be different (laughs) 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 just kidding um Oh, I thought you were being serious there. I thought you were too. <laughs> I've got a bowl. I've got a bowl upstairs, a nice spoon. Um, I got some milk that I'll put in there, and I will eat my words if if Matt Murray is as bad as people think he's going to be. I, I I truly don't believe that he's going to be as bad as he 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 people think he's going to be. Uh, I think in Ottawa, obviously signing that big contract that gets in your head. On top of that, I think 
Ottawa completely mismanaged him in terms of like, you know, sending him down and, 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 you know, just playing with the guys, the guys, uh, psyche, right. Like I, I think it was just a bad situation there for him. Um, I think he's ready. And I, you know, this is, you mentioned his dad passing away. This was his dad's team, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. This was the, the colors his dad donned when he was growing up. This is, this is a moment for him. And we've seen it with some of these players. I mean, Jason Spezza came back and, and seemed to seem to just catch a little fire, had like what 35 point season or something like that. His first year back with the Leafs, like guys want to come back home and play well. Um, Michael Bunting, the, like, sorry, the no, one thing ahead. that I want the one thing that I want to mention as well is that I don't understand how people can look at the season that the Leafs just got from their goaltending. And I'm sorry, but outside of Jack Campbell's November and October, he was not good. Average. He was not average good. Average at best. Yeah. Average at best. He had two horrible months, as I said, two horrible months, two okay months, and two good months. And then Peter Mrazek, we all know what he was all year. So I don't understand how people could genuinely look at the 900 goaltending that the Leafs got last year and say that Matt Murray, a guy who's coming home to play for a team, you know, his dad's team growing up, like we said, a guy who he knows, a goalie coach that he knows, a fresh start elsewhere, a team that traded for him because they wanted him. And then you look over to Washington and you've got Ilya Samsonov, a guy whose team didn't think he was worth 3 million. That's why they didn't tender him. That's why they didn't qualify him a contract because they looked at the season that he had. And despite him being only 25 years old and a first round pick of them back in 2015, they looked at him and said, you know, with your arbitration rights, you could possibly get $3 million and we don't want to pay you that. So they didn't qualify him. This guy's 25 years old and he just signed a prove it deal, a bet on myself kind of deal. And Kyle Dubas mentioned that when he signed him, that he was impressed with, the fact that he did sign this this bet on himself deal for a guy who's 25 years old he's he, he's he seems truly convinced that you know he's he's not going to let this past season define who he is as a goalie so when you've got those two players in those situations battling with each other and pushing each other to be the number one goalie in this crease i don't understand how anybody could look at that and just deem that this goaltending is going to be worse than last year's guaranteed. And the Leafs are going to suffer because, because the Leafs played through near league worst goaltending last season. They can do it again with this tandem and they can dare. I say they'll do a better job of it because they'll get more games from them and they'll, they'll get better games from these guys. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, you guys said it, give him the opportunity, see what he does. If 20 games in he's, you know, sub eight ninety and 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 three, you know, plus three twenty-four, three twenty-five and in goals against, then we can have the conversation. But right now, the guy hasn't played a game. He hasn't played a game. Leave the guy alone and just let the you know, ride out the rest of the offseason. Um, you know, go out and buy your new jerseys because you burned them at the end of last season. Um, and we'll welcome you back with open arms to Leafs Nation. Um Go ahead, Peter. One more final point on my end. He was traded to the Ottawa Senators. You look at the two seasons that he played with Ottawa, and, and again, he's been dealing with injuries as well. The Senators as a whole, in 2020-21, his first season, the Senators allowed 32.1 shots against per game. That is 
is 27th overall in the league if you're doing it in descending or lowest to highest. In 21-22, this past season, that number went to 33.4. And again, he only played minimal games. For him to have a 9.068 percentage last season on a still poor Ottawa Senators team shows that there is still a glimmer of hope and that maybe things can turn around. When you go from the Pittsburgh Penguins, perennial Stanley Cup team or back-to-back Stanley Cup champs and playoff team to an Ottawa Senators team that is still struggling and in the rebuilding phase, what do you think was going to happen? He was not going to be at his best. The team in front of him wasn't great. Now that he's got a good team in front of him, everyone is still saying that it's a bad move. I don't know. Yeah, no, well said. Um, Gentlemen, uh, that kind of shuts us down for season two there. Um, I just want to shout out to both of you because at the beginning of this season, we obviously brought you on Alex and uh, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure to add you to the show. Um, We've gone, we've, we've hit heights that we, we couldn't even imagine going into season two. Um, Peter, as always, it's been, it's been a pleasure to have you around for season two as well. Um, We're hoping for, uh, you know, season three, obviously we're going to kick off in in September. We're hoping for those heights to to rise once again. And uh, all three of us are, will be back. Um, Mm -hmm. and we have lots, lots more hockey to talk. Uh, like I said, hopefully new things will be coming, uh, new guests will be coming. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure, you know, spending the last, uh, last year with you guys once again. Um, anything you guys wanted to throw out there before we close it down for season two, anything to to look forward to over the next month or, or just a few word parting words for season two. Well, Thanks. Thank you guys for adding me to the crew. I'll say that it's, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking forward to it last year. I knew I was going to make a good choice and I was kind of, I was a little bit starstruck in a sense, considering I saw the list of guests that you guys, you know, had lined up. And when you guys brought me on, I think the first, my first episode with you guys was talking to Mark masters about, uh, about the leaf season. And, you know, being a guy around my age and my situation, wanting to go into sports journalism and sports media, it was pretty awesome to get to shoot the shit with him. And obviously it's been great doing it with you guys this entire time too. And I'm looking forward to the uh, debut in season, season three. Um, I think we've got bigger and better things ahead. And uh, I, I think, I, I think our, uh, as many as there might be, uh, these loyal listeners are going to uh, have a treat for uh, the opener for season three next year. Uh, fingers crossed, Peter. Anything you want yeah. to throw out there, buddy? Um, again, you know, Andrew starting this podcast with you from the very beginning was an absolute thrill. The fact that we were close again on 100 episodes and getting Alex midway through. Um, you know what? Talking hockey with you guys every single week or when we can. Um, we know that we have things going on in our lives as well that, you know, we we still manage to make the time to still get on, talk hockey and, you know, like Alex said, shoot the shit, have some laughs, engage in great talk, great discussions. Um, I couldn't have picked uh, two better people to talk hockey with. I, I really can't. So going into season three, again, kind of like you, Forbes, um, let's just keep on trucking. Let's just keep on going with this, with the guests, with the content, with the talk. Um, 
let's just keep going because this is really something special. And to everyone out there who's been listening all across the world, you know, we really appreciate your support and we hope that you still stay with us uh, for season three, four, five. Let's just keep this going. Well, guys, as always, you can follow Alex on Twitter at a Hobson media. You can follow Peter at P Barakini. You can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes. Or you can follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. We'll be tweeting all through the summer uh, as we head into, as we mentioned, season three in September. Um, if you want to listen to any of our episodes from season one on, check out any of your uh, streaming services: Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on all of them. And then once again, thank you everyone for tuning in for season two. This is us closing out for season two. We'll be back in September.